0: All right, welcome to episode one of the unnamed Royden Road podcast. Royden Road podcast. (laughs) Uh, We got Yoni and Daniel here, live from Battery Park, talking everything Jets and the 2021 offseason.
1: Start it up. um, So I guess we'll start with the big name, uh, Mr. Lawson, formerly of the Cincinnati Bongles. um, Shelled out three years $45 million, 30 guaranteed. Let me preface this all by saying I have no fucking idea how NFL contracts work. I don't understand, you know, anything really about the salary cap. I'm a much better NBA guy. Um, So really the way I do this is kind of compare them to other guys and, uh, you know, use my own evaluations to see what I like, what I don't like.
0: Salary cap is a figment, of, uh, a figment of all the NFL fans' imagination. I don't know how the Saints went into the offseason. Yeah, it's it's with like the- $30 million less, in, like below the salary cap, and still we're signing players. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me either. Yeah, but it does seem like the Eagles are kind of paying
1: for it now. Like, they're just, you know, they, fe- they shut all those contracts to veterans, and now they're just, like, going to
0: be in professional shit for two or three years. Anyway, we're going to try to keep this just to the Jets. <laughs> um, what do you think? So, I love the Lawson signing. He was personally my number You know, it was very clear that the Jets were going to need to go after an edge rusher this offseason. Uh, they've really... The mantra amongst uh, the NFL, the Jets beat reporters, has been that they haven't had a serious pass rusher since John Abraham in that's, the early 2000s. I feel like that's been the narrative. For very... a long time. They did get Calvin Pace, who had one year with 10 sacks in like, uh, you know, one of those AFC championship years, so he was decent. But in reality, they really they haven't had a dominant pass rusher like that in a long what time. What about Queen Copels? <laughs> Queen Copels. It's be him. Yeah, the Jets' infamous uh, first-round pick who had <laughs> more brands on his arms than he had oh, sacks.
1: <laughs> oh, thing? Oh, that was... Uh... Uh,
0: Anyway, so Lawson, I mean, he's one of those guys, and Jets fans are probably tired of hearing about guys who have the peripheral stats without the sacks to back it up, given the saga that we went through with Leonard Williams. Um, who seems to every, who to every year have, you know, one sack, but he always led the league in one of these obscure pass-rushing metrics. Fingers under the face mask yeah, yeah. and
1: whatever those bullshits.
0: Good for him for securing that bag, though. Yeah.
1: Wow. What a contract. Happy we did not give him that one.
0: Same. <laughs> anyway, so Lawson is one of those guys, right? Like, he came onto the scene hot, uh, you know, three years ago when he was drafted. He had eight and a half sacks his rookie year and made the all-rookie team um, and was kind of battling injury problems um, in 2018 and 2019. Uh, before, before really breaking out uh, and having his best, the best year of his career is, uh, in 2020. Um, he led the NFL with 38 pressures from uh, the right side uh, and had five and a half sacks. Now, generally, uh, from what I read from, and learned from back in the Leonard Williams years, is that the average pass rusher in the NFL converts pressures into sacks at about a 35 to 45% rate. So if you were to ratchet up those numbers uh, on Lawson and if he were to regress to the average, uh, he would probably have ended up somewhere around that you know, 12 to 14 sack number, which is you know reminiscent of some of the elite pass rushers in the NFL. So hopefully working on a better defensive line with guys like Quentin Williams and Fatkasi, Kassi, uh, who's really more of a run defender than anything. But we really think that Quentin Williams and Lawson... Can open up that right side of the defense and, uh, and really, you know, make each other better in, a way, in ways that they haven't been in previous years. What, what did you think about the loss in uh, signing?
1: For me, I mean, you know, there was such a, you know, laundry list of, you know, needs they had. Whenever I talked to my friends from college and other cities and they'd say, oh, you know, what do the Jets need to do in free agency? You know, I just sat there and I was like, I don't even know where to begin. But in the pass rush, O line, no weapons, no corners. You know, now no quarterback, but you know, we're gonna get a resolution to that. So for me, the pass rusher I kinda always liked was Trey Hendrickson, you know, big guy. Uh he came off the edge for for the Saints, situational pass rusher, really came on last season. And when I kinda evaluated the free agency scene, I thought that Lawson would get the contract that Hendrickson got, which was four years, sixty million dollars, sixteen guaranteed, annual salary fifteen. I thought that really, was Lawson... 16, 16 Only at $16 guaranteed on Wow. Interesting. So, I mean, the, the years and the no, the big number, that's something I thought would get in line with Lawson. But I think we got him at a great number. You know, a lot of these guys we're going to talk about, um, you know, they're younger guys, you know, twenty 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 four, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. 24, 25, 26, 27, um, you know, didn't get that first contract from their own team. And you can see the direction. They're, you know, trying to build around that young talent and get everybody on the same timeline, which is good. Yeah. You know, you, you, we haven't seen
0: anything... Yeah. Like organizationally like that in a long time. Absolutely, and I think one of the keys that that can't be overstated amongst uh, some of the new Jets free agents that you heard consistently was the fact that they came because they wanted to play for Robert Sala. And I cannot remember a time in my life Probably back when we had Rex, we did have a couple of guys that came over from the Ravens, Bart Scott, Jim Leonard, but it's, it's been rare for the Jets in the last 10 years to have players come because they want to play for the coach that we have. And so- you,
1: you, everybody talks about his energy and uh, you know we're both on Twitter, we see stuff. Have you ever you know, recalled a coach signing that produced highlights? There were highlights of this man going yeah. nuts on the sidelines. Wow. You'd never see that with coaches. There were actual highlights.
0: Yeah. You know, that, him
1: flexing and screaming and pushing guys down. Like, we're going to be... That energy is going to be contagious in the stadium. Yeah. And
0: not only that, like, how often is it that we see on Jets on Jets Twitter and amongst Jets fans that we know that there's actually consensus around around a move that we're all happy with, as, as happy as we were with, with Robert Salah? It To me, he seemed like the best candidate coming in,
1: and we walked away with, uh, you know... A, culture is such a bullshit word, but... Hopefully he you know put some sort of resemblance of organizations a better word than culture yeah. but yeah all right uh, let's move on to Corey yeah. Davis, uh, yeah. Mr. Davis signed a three-year thirty-seven million dollar contract, twenty-seven guaranteed. Yeah. Now,
0: so I'm curious what you thought about Davis at the time of signing, versus once you saw kind of the rest. He signed fairly early on amongst the wide receivers. So once you saw the rest of the receiver market played out, how did you view Davis? at the beginning when you first heard about that contract? And how did your uh, evaluation of his contract change once you saw the rest of the receiver market play out?
1: Well, you know, I'm pr- so we started free agency with the Kendrick Bourne contract, the, the Nelson Aguilar contract. I think Aguilar got two years, 22 million. Yeah. He got something crazy. Yeah. And, I, and you, know, I, you know, I'm starting to think to myself, okay, that means that a guy like Corey Davis is gonna get maybe 13, 14. Mm-hmm. Kenny, uh, Kenny Galladay and Juju are gonna get 20. So when I saw that, when, when when the when the Davis contract comes out, came out, you know, you do the math, I don't know, you're better, was he got 12 a year? Yeah. Come out 12 a year and, yeah, 12, 12 year and I was, and like, a half. I was yeah. like, okay, if, you know, the Aguilar price that, you know, we paid the same as Aguilar and we got, you know, a, a guy in Corey Davis who, you know, Aguilar's, you know, I probably would say probably has better speed than Corey Davis, but, you know, Corey Davis is all around receiver, can break off routes, get open, had nice hands, only
0: 3.3% drop rate last year. Yeah, um, and we're talking about a guy who was the former number five overall pick. Like he right. clearly has a lot of talent, and I think for the first time, it started to come through this year in, in Tennessee, um, where he. And I really think that his contract value would have gone even higher if he had managed to crack that thousand yard mark. Thankfully for the Jets, he fell sixteen yards short in only fourteen games. So I think that was a big that was a big plus. And I initially was not thrilled about the Corey Davis signing I think I was a little more excited than you Yeah one. but I as tend I tend to get that way I kind of always like yeah. these guys up As but uh, well, I was what I was going to say was as I read more about it I and, and like tried to and looked at some of the more uh, advanced metrics Corey Davis is a big bodied receiver kind of similar to Denzel Mims your traditional kind of number 1 type he had a, a 71% catch rate last season which was one of the t- top 10 in the NFL um, and he's very good on. You see a lot of his highlights on these contested catches, kind of something that the Jets have been lacking since since Brandon Marshall left the team, really, and in, uh, in, you know after his magnificent 2015 season. So I, I'm I'm a fan of the Corey Davis signing. I don't know if he necessarily should be expected to be your traditional number one wide right receiver, but rather that we would have kind of a, you know. If him if Mims can reach the potential that we hope and that we saw in flashes last year uh, in the middle of the season, you know, ideally you could have two guys who are who any you know get anywhere from 800 to 1,200 yards, um, and average about thousand between the two of them, especially in a in a 17 game season. I think that would be a good number to shoot for for this year.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, we kind of now talking about the receivers. We kind of can talk about mm-hmm. who's going to be their number one. Like, what's the pecking order going to be? Um, you know, we have Mims, we have Crowder, you know, who, who, is, who had very good flashes last year, especially from a fantasy aspect, just, you know, some of these 12-catch games. Um, can kind of lead us into now Keelan Cole, who, you know, I don't know. He, in 2018, he was, he, was, uh, he was a decent guy. He had that really, really nice one-hand catch. Um, I feel
0: like he's just always been in a crowded receiver room. Yeah. never really had a chance. A crowded receiver room with shitty quarterbacks, as you tend to get in Jacksonville. He actually really – his rookie year, he had 750 yards. He looked like he was a really kind of up-and-coming guy, uh, middle-round draft pick. Um, and he's kind of leveled off since then. Uh, he had two years. He kind of fell out of the favor of the team uh, in 18 and 19, especially in 19 where he only had 340, about 340 yards, and rebounded nicely this year with uh, 645 yards and five touchdowns. Um, so I think he's the kind of guy – like, look, the Jets – one of the things that really burned the Jets last year was the lack of depth in the wide receiver room. I don't know how many games we had to watch fucking Josh Malone and, you know, Lawrence Cager rolling out there in the Jets. Uh, Chris Hogan was the Jets' number one receiver for multiple weeks last season. I mean, they had absolutely Bradley no depth. Braxton Yeah. Braxton Berrios is pretty decent, actually. he's good. Yeah, but anyway, you're talking about these. These are the guys you're rolling out because they could not afford to have one guy get hurt when they had— one guy get hurt, two guys get hurt. At times, all three of their top receivers hurt. It really hampered the ability of, uh, you know, Sam Donald and the rest of the offense to get going. So I think Cole is a, good depth, is a good depth signing. He's played both in the slot and on the outside. So I think he'll get some playing time. You know, in, in uh, the Shanahan offense, they get lots of touches to lots of different wide receivers. Um, and uh, I think that he will be someone who will be starting a handful of games because inevitably they will have injuries this year, and we'll be really happy we have him around you know around week six, week seven when Mims's hamstrings give out again.
1: Going to the contract though, I did think the five point five was a little bit steep. I know that it's incentive-laden contract. There's more, you know, he's gonna have to produce to get that full amount. But you know, I was really upset that they didn't go after a guy like Juju. Well, wow. I do I mean, I I personally didn't see anything about what the Ravens offered, but for
0: eight million dollars, I would have been comfortable. It was eleven? You got, you got ten or eleven million? offered. Oh, okay. The Chiefs and the Ravens both offered him a little bit higher than the eight, but not not much. Right. So,
1: I would have been comfortable giving him fourteen. I know a lot of people think that might be a little too high. I think he has nice versatility in the slot and he can play outside. Wasn't used like that a lot of the you know James Washington and Chase Claypool took a lot of the deep threat roles. But I was really bummed the Jets didn't go after Juju, especially given the number.
0: Yeah, I think that the number that he ended up with, you gotta think that like we said, home-town given discount, no, there was course. a hometown discount. He clearly wanted to go back and play in Pittsburgh, he felt he had some unfinished business there. I also I was not a huge fan of Juju at the original contract press. I would not have wanted him at fourteen million, but for something like two years twenty, um which would have given him kind of the longevity that clearly he wasn't seeing on the open market for a guy who's 23 years old, has a 1500 yard season under his belt, had I believe he had 80 catches and nine touchdowns last year in Pittsburgh's. It didn't it, feel like that though. It, it, it really didn't feel like that. I agree. It really didn't feel like that. But he still know, managed to put together he a, did, decent he did, a decent he season. A decent season. He's an up, he would be an upside An upside signing uh it's not traditional Joe Douglas based on everything that we've read to go after a lot of these playmakers. He probably felt that, you know, by investing in Davis, that was kind of his one swing. Although the argument could be made, right, we have Crowder on the, on the books for about $10 million. You could have feasibly swapped out Juju uh, from Crowder in the slot and ended up eating the same amount of money this year. So I have a hard time believing that if he was willing to go back to the Steelers for $8 million, that that incremental... You know, guarantee from the Jets would have meant much to him. Clearly, he wants to win and has something has some hometown loyalty. Um, But it would have been nice to see the Jets be be more serious players for him.
1: Yeah, and you know, this kind of you know now we're going over some of these players. You know, going off your depth play, it seems that Joe Douglas is. Building the team, you know, making sure they have a strong foundation. a lot of rotational players We're not going to get screwed by one injury. And he's building up this foundation of backups. So now, you know, in the next couple of years when we start to build around presumably Zach Wilson, he can start making these splash plays to grab stars and start using cap space in that way so he knows, okay, if that ex-player that we paid $20 million to go down, a guy like Keelan Cole can step in for four games and we, we're not going to be
0: hurt like that. Yep. Um, so, you know, the foundation is definitely yep. building, being built. So, and, yep, I think that's a great point. And uh, wrapping up on the offensive side of the football, we have two kind of lower-key signings, uh, one of whom it could actually play a fairly major role this year, Tevin Coleman coming over from the Niners uh, at one year. Uh, he got under a million guaranteed but up to two million in incentive, uh, incentives which is a theme uh, for Joe Douglas contracts which apparently has not been the case for the Jets over the last handful of years. And Tyler Croft came over from the from the Bills uh, kind of had a big year back in, in 2018 I believe it was with the Bengals where he had 40 or 50 catches but hasn't, hasn't produced much since signing a big contract in, in Buffalo. What did, you, what did you think about these signings? Um,
1: Tevin Coleman to me, I mean... It was kind of disappointing, to be honest. I like the player; he's, he uh, showed great versatility in Atlanta, you know, both running the ball and catching the ball. Um, you know, part of that crowded backfield in San Francisco, but definitely showed some things. But to me, I'm not comfortable going into the season with Tevin Coleman as the lead back. Um, Ty Johnson, he was what he was. You know, he's an athlete. You give the ball. To an athlete, he's going to make plays. He's the only guy in the backfield. Uh, LaMichael P. Ryan has not really shown much either. So to me, we know we're not bringing back Frank Gore, I believe, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. So to me, I mean, I just don't see – there's just no guy that I'm going to give the rock to all those times. You know, my fondest memories as a Jets is we were giving the ball to Thomas Jones all those times. You know, there's going to be no dependable running back. And maybe they go after an ETN or a Najee Harris in the – in the
0: draft, but right now, you know, we clearly have the worst running backs in the league, right? Yeah, I, I agree. My counter to that point is that if you look at the last number of years out in San Francisco and the style of offense that LaFleur is going to be running here with the Jets, they were able to get pretty good numbers out of basically anyone that they drop back there, right? Like you got Raheem Mostert, an undrafted player who had basically done jack shit in his career until being in San Francisco, is pumping out, you know, 100 yard games, five touchdowns in a game in the playoffs. You have, honestly, the uh, 49ers running back who I wanted the Jets to go after this offseason was Jeff Wilson Jr., who they probably could have had for less money than Tevin Coleman, and who was absolutely crushing it at the end of last season. He's bat- a little bowling ball. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that the, 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 the takeaway here is that the LaFleur offense does not rely necessarily on having an every down number one style back, and they're able to get fairly decent numbers out of these kind of unheralded guys. That being said, I do agree with you that we did even even our group of unheralded guys is very uninspiring. Tevin Coleman has had a hard time staying on the field the last two years. The best season he had was right before he signed that contract to San Francisco, which was only an eight hundred yard season with uh, with the Niners. And like you said, not not too much to get excited about with uh, with P Ryan uh, and Ty Johnson. So I I I imagine that the Jets will address that in the draft. I would be surprised if it was of the Najee Harris uh, etienne style. I would be styles, as well. Just based on what we know about Joe Douglas, but I could see them swinging, you know, swinging the bat again at a mid-round pick like they did with Piran last year, um, and and trying to get some production. You know, we've seen in the NFL in years past there are productive running backs that can be had on day two and day three. You look at guys like Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt. Uh, sure. Aaron Jones. There's a lot of you. You can find these guys, and if Joe Douglas is going to live up to his billing as this unbelievable drafter, um, I think running backs a position that he can really, uh, you know, make a statement by picking up, a, you know, a starting caliber player in the mid rounds this year.
1: I'm just not. I'm not ready to use San Francisco as this, you know, guide to what we're going to become. Um, you saw, you know, fat fucking fat Patricia shows up in Detroit and tries to. You know, put his rings on the table and pretend he's Belichick, and he got laughed out of town. Um, so there's not—I don't—I don't know how much credence, or not even credence. because I think it's definitely fair to say that that's a fair, that's a decent analog. But I don't know how com- how confident I am that we'll be able to, you know, replicate some of that success.
0: Agreed. And this is all—it's it's, all—it's all like hearsay. What we're saying about what they're going to do, right? Because we don't know. We don't. Maybe, maybe Lafleur felt constrained on the Shanahan system in some way, and he wanted to try a bunch of new, the new things that he wasn't really able to do under, under that system I mean, he's got his own ideas we really don't know but it like you said it's the best it's the best speculation we can do for now um but i do imagine that that, that it'll as always does turn out turn out differently than, than than how we see it oh absolutely uh you know tyler croft you know just going back to what you said earlier i definitely
1: i definitely think he's going to be the starter the way things are shaking out right now uh you know chris hernan was absolute dog shit last year people you know he was obviously under adam Gase's thumb Adam Gates doesn't like to use a tight end, but at the same time, he's catching 9% of balls. He had 287 yards, and this motherfucker was on the season ticket box. There were six of those guys. Five of them are gone. He's the only one left. Show up and fucking play next year. And if if you're losing snaps to Ryan Griffin and Tyler Croft,
0: you're done. Get the hell out of here. I don't even want to hear his name again. I, see, I actually have a different opinion on, on Herndon because he, I mean, he was atrocious last year. And, and clearly, I think his confidence was shattered because he was dropping balls, missing blocks. I mean, he, he was a shell of himself from what we saw two years ago. But that, sec, I mean, and you, you know, that second half of 2018, what he was doing with Darnold week in and week out, I think he finished the season with like 550 yards and a few touchdowns. He made a sick one-handed catch against the Packers um, in that shootout game, which was also one of Darnold's best games of his career. I just want to see what Herndon can do. Under a new coaching staff, because I think we all had fairly high hopes from last year. Uh, especially, he, he had that injury plague, twenty nineteen, with the suspension, and then he came back, and you know, he he had a, he had a, he broke a rib and immediately after coming back. I think that I don't want to expect anything of him because I think that would be foolish given his last two years. But at the same time, I think that under a new coaching staff, uh, he clearly showed that he had talent. Um, I think that we could see a rebound year this year from Chris Herndon. I think that for the Jets offense to be what we want it to be with the lack of a true number one wide receiver and what we just talked about, the lack of star power at running back, you're going to need to get some production out of the tight ends, but the Jets never seem to get. Like, ever. Dustin Keller. Yeah, last one, and he was he was fine. Like he was nothing special he, for a first you,
1: round pick. Like, do you remember that game? I think we were we just a preface. Yoni and I, um, we had season tickets growing up as like just around end of middle school, beginning of high school. Uh, my dad, his dad, and the two of us sort of like all the games. Two thousand eight, two thousand eleven. Yeah, like right in the years where they, they turned good. Um, opening opening day, opening game, first game, week one. Remember, it was the end of the drive, and he. Caught the ball And went out of bounds Right in oh front of Oh my god them, Right in yeah, front yeah, of the first yeah, yeah.
0: I, want, I don't remember Who they were playing Me neither But that was talked About a lot And it was just like yeah, yeah, The Jets' tight ends, I mean, over the years, Keller, they had the Safarian Jenkins fiasco against the Patriots with the fumble on the goal line. Oh, wow. They drafted. Right. Yeah. They have drafted some ridiculous... They drafted Jay Samaro one year in the second round at Texas Tech, who played maybe three games for that. Connor Rulin never got it going. Oh, my God, man. Trayvon Wesco is still on the team, actually, one of the few McCagney draft picks left. Oh, we don't even need to they, go into that. That's such Chan a... Chan Gailey also used the tight end, like, 10% less than every single other NFL tight end. You know, it was like... They threw the ball at tight end seven percent of the time, and the next best NFL team was at like sixteen percent. Like the Jets have criminally undervalued the tight end position and underused it. You know, basically since Dustin Keller in the early twenty tens.
1: Well, uh, now we got Croft coming in to join that uh, long
0: list of rejects.
1: Yeah. Uh, moving on, we got a couple more signings. Yeah. Um, switching
0: into the defensive side of the ball now. I don't, other still, than Lawson, no, there's more on the offense. Yeah, we got. Yeah, we
1: got. Uh, we got Mr. Feeney. Oh, Mr. Feeney. So the one thing uh, I definitely thought the Jets would come out of this with an yeah. offensive lineman. Um, you know, they the Thuney price No, not the Thuney price. Um, yeah. Thuny yeah, for 80. Kansas City. It's a huge contract. No way Joe Douglas was paying anything close to that. We all know that. Um but they really didn't come away with anybody.
0: Shockingly enough. And you, you signed Not
1: this, too involved in Lindsay, right? Not
0: right? no, they didn't go for Lindsay. They had this weird so. Joe, one of Joe Douglas's marquee, if you could call it that signings, of the last offseason was uh, was Connor McGovern, who played center this year. He's one of the very few guys that got a multi year contract with guaranteed money in both years. Last year, he signed a three year, uh, twenty seven million dollar contract. Of the first two years, guaranteed about seventeen or eighteen million, um, and he had a really up and down season. He was coming off a season from the Broncos where he had, you know, there were all these stats. He didn't commit a penalty. He only allowed zero sacks. He was rated by PFF as one of the top, you know, ten or so centers in the league. Um, and is a young guy, and he really, he, he, got, he, he hurt his hamstring in the middle of the season, and I think it took him a while to recover from that injury. He was probably playing through it, um, but really rebounded in the back half of the season, and I think that Douglas does not, you know, he, he has played guard earlier in his career, but I think the Jets front office clearly sees him as a center, and that's the reason, like you said, that they probably didn't get in on uh, on Lindsley, who signed for a much more reasonable number. I believe it was five years, $62.5 million, with about half of that guaranteed, as opposed to Thune, who, I mean, you're not going to, for that money in the Chiefs, like there's just no way that he would have ever chosen the Right? Cats. Yeah, it just they, they knew. And um, they brought in Feeney from the Chargers, who actually, believe it or not, has started every single game for them the last three seasons. 50 straight games. Yeah, 50 plus straight starts for the, for, since his rookie year, but year in and year out has been graded by PFF as, if not the worst, one of the worst centers and overall offensive linemen in the entire NFL, despite having arguably the best facial hair in the NFL.
1: 35 out of 35 el- eligible centers in pass, block, win rate. This guy's dog shit.
0: I don't know what he's doing on this team. Again, um, it's depth, right? Like we go through this thing, Douglas is building a team in a traditional way, which we can sustain injuries and still be able to – he might suck, but at least he's got experience starting. He's not going to go in there and be – He's got experience losing pass blocks. He's not going to be going there and be Vlad Dukas coming out of the Vlad round.
1: Dukas. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is my favorite part so far. All these random throwback names coming out.
0: Yeah,
1: who else we got? I guess
0: we good time to switch to the defensive side. Yeah. Um, so let's start. So We talked a little bit about Lawson. Uh, let's talk about who I know one of your favorite signings of the offseason season was uh, Sheldon Rankins coming over from the Saints.
1: Yeah, you know he's a former former first round pick. Uh, I believe he was taken twelfth overall by the Saints. Um, had a had a really decent career with Louisville. Um, again, you know, go following this mold. Douglas giving out short term two. Three short, uh, three-year deals to guys who are, you know, former first-round picks that, you know, for whatever reason, didn't get a second contract. Um, Rankins was, you know, really good before he tore his Achilles, and you know, kind of fell out of favor in, in New Orleans due to the injury history. Um, he was the fifteenth in in 2020. He was the fifteenth D tackle in pressure percentage. He had, although he had only had one and a half sacks, and he was injured. Um, But eight and a half sacks in 2018 was his best season, and I guess Douglas is hoping he returns to form. Um, I really think he can be a formidable um, complement to Quinn Williams, who will – between him, Lawson, whoever they bring in at the other end to to pass rush. Um, And I I know you think the Jets are going to have a top ten D-line this year. I'm not – so sure, but you see the resemblance of that San Francisco swapping in the defensive line. You know, the, you know I'm just going to be, I just can see it now. Solid jumping up and down the offensive line, and we got these hog mollies running back and forth, so- subbing in. It's going to be fun to see. Yeah. And hopefully it brings a lot of energy.
0: Yeah, and you look back to 2019, like you were talking about with Solid's defense, and the, the the 2019, that Super Bowl team that you had with the 49ers, you're talking, they, they were rotating tons of guys in across the D line. You know, with Forrest Bunker, had seven and a half sacks. Eric Armstead had ten sacks. Nick Bosa in his rookie year, uh, when he won Defensive Rookie of the Year, with nine sacks. Um, and then guys like D. Ford, who was ultimately uh, was ultimately traded. Solomon Thomas. They they another former high draft pick. Like this is clearly the style that Salo goes with. It's a it, it goes, and, and by the way fits right in with what Joe Douglas talks about about building the team through the trenches. He wants to have a deep O line, a D line, and O line, but a deep defensive line with multiple guys who can who can rush the passer. Uh, another guy they brought in was Vinnie Curry, another situational rusher from the Eagles, who's you know a little bit older, but has been a very effective uh, situational rusher for them over the past few, over the past four or five seasons, you know, with about three to five sacks a year. So I think, like you said, he he fits the. I think that Rankins is one of these guys. Like the Jets have a lot of these high upside former first round picks who. Very athletic, uh, who have a chance that if things come together to really be something formidable. I do think the Jets have the potential. Um, if Lawson gets up, uh, you know, if Lawson can maintain the level of play and not get injured like he was last year, I think that he'll, you know, help Quentin Williams build off a very impressive uh, second season. We'll open things up for him to get to the passer more. And then you have these these auxiliary guys, the Vinnie Curries, the Rankinses. They already had uh, Fadu who's was one of the highest-graded uh, interior run defenders in the league, John Franklin Myers, who was a high, uh, a high upside, uh, I believe he was a, a former, uh, he was cut by the Rams a couple of years ago. And they also have this guy who, who is still an unknown, Jabari Zuniga, who they drafted in the third round last out year Florida, out of Florida. Right? Um, and we know that the Jets don't have the best luck with third round uh, edge rushers out of Florida, given the uh, Ja-Kai, Ja'Kai Polite, polite. fiasco. Of I was
1: so high <laughs> on him, I thought he was going to be so good. <laughs> this man couldn't even get
0: the fucking green jersey on. He couldn't even get on the field. Yeah, oh. you very rarely see a third-round pick cut before training camp. He was cut by day. multiple teams before training camp. He wasn't start.
1: even on the opening day. He wasn't didn't yeah. even make it.
0: Anyway, um, yeah. So I mean, I, I agree with you on the Rankins thing. What did you think about? Um, what did you think about Jared Davis? Kind of the similar, a similar style of player at a different position.
1: Right. You know, he comes out he, another like again. I keep I, I found that sounding like a broken record. Former first-round pick, short,
0: low-risk deal um
1: what, am I, what let's uh, Listen, he, he
0: had he had a lot of success in early in his career with the lions you know in twenty in 2018 had a hundred tackles and six sacks uh he was had, held the play calling duties but for whatever reason uh went down from playing about ninety nine percent of the slaps in 2018 to sixty and then to twenty nine percent last year so I mean for him to get more money than a guy like Keanu Neal who I know that you really liked and can talk about in a second like that was something I was not expecting necessarily on the free agent market but As we've been saying across the whole podcast, right? Like it goes along with Joe Douglas's style—the kinds of players that he likes: these high upside, athletic, uh, good leaders, talented players who 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 he thinks you know with solid and the new defensive coaching staff, they can get the most out of them.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I just I don't understand what the what the reason for his diminished role was. I don't get if it was injuries or why they took the play calling duties away. He had such good production. I just. I I hope it was he was just misused over there and he comes now and can provide a you know a, another linebacker to play next to Mosley and another hole we could talk about who's gonna yeah. play on the other side of Mosley
0: yeah and by the way he's gonna play on the on one of the outside positions and he's a middle linebacker so the Jets literally have no linebackers on the team yeah. uh, I, I and expecting a lot out of Mosley who's played thirty minutes in his Jets career like it's just. Uh, the Those are about 30 minutes, though. Yeah, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it was insane. One of the best halves of football enough. I've ever seen from a defensive player on the Jets. Yeah, uh, wait, they, they went up right, the 16 nothing, right? He 16 nothing. He defended passes. He had a pick six. I mean, he was rolling in that game. It was fun. Yeah. And, then, and then the Jets went on to being the, the Jets of old. 7-9. No, it didn't feel like 7-9. It definitely did not. It definitely did not. All right, let's see. Who else do we have
1: here? Uh, uh, Joyner. Yeah. Or Marcus Joyner. Um, I guess the big question with Joyner... Oh, it's, I guess his contract, one year, $5 million?
0: Yeah, I believe that's also incentive-laden. I want to say $3 million of it is guaranteed, but either way, it's a low-risk, low-reward contract.
1: Right, and, you know, this really... His career can be broken up into two parts. In the first couple of years of his career, specifically 2017, this guy was one of the best safeties in football. He was third among all safeties in coverage, he, and he led the all secondary defenders in passer rating when targeted. Hit the passer rating for QBs when they threw it at him was twenty seven point four. He broke up or had an interception on thirty eight point five of his targets, and that is also for That him. almost doesn't
0: sound like a real stat. That's so good. It's I mean, so that, good. that's incredible.
1: You know, for, for and he played a little bit of corner when he was on the when he was on the Rams in Wade Phillips' defense, but primarily he really he excelled at the safety, and he then went to um, he went to the Raiders, who moved him to slot corner and. He signed him to a really big deal. I don't have the numbers in front of me. It was a very lucrative deal. And, you know, a lot of people thought he was deserving of it, and I was one of them. He was, you know, a staple next to John Johnson on that defense. But the numbers don't really look that great when he moved to corner.
0: Yeah, and I, I believe from what I've read, the Jets intend to use him uh, mostly at safety and a little bit in that nickel corner role. Uh, it will be interesting to see. what I, What I don't understand about what the Jets are doing at safety is that Joyner, May, and Ashton Davis, their third-round pick from last year, are all free safeties. They're kind of missing that Jamal Adams, Thumper, strong safety guy who plays in the box. They tried to do that with May at the you know early in the season last year. He had a great game week one, um, but he really struggled in that position in the middle of the season. And when they moved him back to free safety, was when he he really uh, began to excel again. So I'm curious to see if uh, you know if Sala and the defense will be using those guys in the traditional free safety strong safety tandem roles or whether or not they're going to mix and match um, and kind of see which guy is the best at, at, at strong safety and you know play them there. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see I think ultimately given how weak the secondary is which we can also talk about the lack of uh, lack of corner depth that they have they need as many good players in the secondary as possible. And I think Joyner gives them, albeit a little bit older and albeit a little bit less productive in the last couple of years, a guy who can really provide a little bit of uh, you know, a little bit of experience and who's had a lot of success in this league and can be, you know, and can be a guy who plays a good chunk of the snaps on the defense side of the ball. Right, and I, I know earlier I kind of you know, shot on the idea a little
1: bit that, you know, Sal is gonna come over and, and put instill everything that Shanahan and put in, but you know, now I wanna talk like Salah worked in Seattle during the Legion of Boom, and if you think about the players that he had in that secondary, you know, I think that Richard Sherman would be an excellent fit in New York, just, you know, kind of building up what he wants to preach and spreading his organizational message. Yep, still out there. Um, so in, in theory, if we're running solace defense, you know, the 4-3 three, cover-3 three defense, you're going to have, theoretically, have Sherman taking away a third of the field, but who's going to play that Cam Chancellor role? You know, Cam Chancellor was a linebacker, You know, playing the secondary And we don't have that guy We had him, we had Jamal Adams I'm not going to shit on that Because we got a nice return But we don't have that lurker on defense That, you know Guys are gonna that the quarterbacks have to line up and say, "Where's this guy?" I have to make sure I'm not throwing the ball there. I got to see what he's doing. We don't have that. Yeah. Um. Hopefully they build up the secondary.
0: Yeah, I think the Jets' secondary right now is the is the biggest hole. You know, you, you can talk about outside linebacker, you can talk about uh, interior offensive line, which I agree are are massive holes. But I think that the biggest hole on the roster right now is at the cornerback position. Like we're talking about going at this point, our cornerback depth chart is Bryce Hall, who. By the way, had a very nice rookie year. Fifth round pick, like I definitely believe they uh you know, he was kind of this high upside guy who fell in the draft due to injury concerns, and after coming back in the if middle, he didn't of lap- get injured. He could have been a number one. He could have. Yeah, been he a first was going to be a pick. first or second round pick, right? So he and he really it seemed like he's kind of regained that form. He's not the fastest guy, but he's a very physical corner. Good uh, instincts. Very similar style of play to Richard Sherman. I think he would actually benefit a lot from uh, Richard Sherman coming in if the Jets are able to sign him. He can
1: Richard Sherman, I think, could get something out of him. He could bring a little bit out of Bless Austin, who is, I believe, a sixth or seventh round pick out of Rutgers. One of
0: McCagnan's <laughs> decent picks. Actually. One of yeah. yeah, one of the only guys even still on the roster. Yeah, um, but if those are your top two cornerbacks, and then they've got right now with Brian Poole still a free agent, they've got Javelin Gidry, an undrafted free agent in the slot. I mean, that is not only a terrible group of three guys, but there's absolutely no depth there whatsoever. So you'd have to imagine that with with the you know there are a handful of cornerbacks still available, uh, Richard Sherman being one of them, Casey Hayward. Brian Poole is still unsigned I think would be a nice one for the Jets to to bring back in AJ Boye who's a little bit older but has had success with both the uh, the Jaguars and the Broncos Okay the maybe we don't like, need to panic yet there's guys to bring. I did not know Boye was out there I There's kind of there's a lot it. of good guys I imagine Douglas clearly knew, knows something about this market and is waiting it out but I you can't I would be shocked if the Jets don't add two corners at minimum in the draft one at a, a premium uh, one of those premium top 3 picks in the in the uh in, you know, in the, in the second round, in the end of the first round, and the second round, um, and definitely someone else in the middle rounds. Because even if they were going to go with those guys as our starters, which I sincerely hope we do not. They have no depth, and they need to. They need some depth at that position.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Asante Samuel Jr. is in play at what, twenty second, twenty third, twenty three. I think yeah. he's definitely in play at twenty three if he's there.
0: Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of it's a it's a cornerback. Uh, it's a strong first round of cornerbacks with uh, J. C. Horn, Patrick Sertan at uh, Alabama. Yeah. And Greg Newsom, so I think that's that should be a position the Jets could, could go after. Um, that covers oh, basically all all of the Jets free agent signs, think That was about. so
1: quick! I didn't.
0: I that was. Uh, I mm-hmm. didn't. I think we'd be able to do
1: thirty minutes, but we even have to cut short. Um, yeah. I hope you hope you enjoyed our little Jets talk about free agency. In the future, we're going to hope to expand it mainly to uh, you know we're going to talk a lot Jets NFL. Hopefully, but I think our our goal is kind of just do a, a New York sports kind of. Complete package over here. Um, I'm I'm more of an NBA guy. Yoni's more of the MLB guy. So, but we're both big football guys. So we're going to give you the big picture of everything. Hopefully. Yep.
0: And I think next next time we're, we'll uh, there a bit, obviously a big trade in Jets in the Jets world uh, with Darnold going to the Panthers. Um, a lot to a lot to unpack and discuss there. Daniel and I definitely have different opinions about what uh, you know what the Darnold, what what we thought about the Darnold trade, how we wanted them to move forward. Um, so I think that will be an interesting topic for us to get into uh, on the next the next edition. All right, thanks to all three of you for listening.